Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined once again by Chris Reifer. Back in town. I'm back. 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 He may, it may have been town in town the whole time, but yeah. back in our town, Soccer Town. Uh, to, to discuss so- soccer uh, city, so, some of the latest. USA, I believe, is is Portland's name, which is a That's very true. authentic a name it's that is specific to Portland. No, no other place is Soccer City, USA, or any variant of that. You're gonna make some enemies, like right. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna piss people off like right out of the gate here. Yeah, that, that's the goal. That's the goal. Uh, to 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 be clear, I'm I'm not being serious. Uh, this is this is deeply tongue in cheek, given the the number of various municipalities around the country that claim to be soccer municipality USA. Nobody's claimed actually soccer municip- municipality USA. So that one that one's out there. Uh, every other variant has has sadly been claimed a few times over. Soccer designated place USA. Maybe like a like a like a town of like twenty people that all of them just freaking love soccer. I don't know. Yeah, who just knows? just spitballing. Yeah, I don't know. So I, <laughs> I like soccer municipality USA. Okay. In soccer municipality slash city USA over the weekend, the Portland Thorns defeated Gotham FC one zero. Uh, in a game where they really controlled the midfield, uh, they saw some strong performances from, you know, as one w- might expect, Sam Coffey, who had a tremendous assist to Hina Sugita for the goal. Uh, and, and Olivia Moultrie stepped up Good big in the midfield, I thought, as well. Somebody somebody who does not start often and, you know, faces a crowded midfield with a lot of talent and, you know, competes with people like Rocky Rodriguez and at times Christine Sinclair for for midfield minutes. But you know, stepped up and, and proved that I think she she has to sort of be part of the conversation going forward, even even, you know, in the playoffs, you know, you don't want to switch things up too much and you want to rely on the players you want to you have been relying on throughout the season. But Moultrie did great. Um, you know, I think an overall strong performance from the Thorns limiting a Gotham side that has a lot of attacking talent. You think about the, the opportunities that Gotham had throughout this game. The only one that that really you know, may, may have made the hair on the backs of the Thorns fans next stand up would be the Lynn Williams chance at the very end, yeah, which, very which would have, you know, as yeah, as we talked about off air, that would have been really rough given the overall performance to, to sort of give that goal up. At and the a end. great save, by the way, from you know, Bella Bixby uh, to keep that one out. That's a that's a big moment for a goalkeeper in a game in which she didn't have a ton to do. 
yeah, no, it's it's important to have somebody like Bella Bixby between the wickets and in situations like that, and could be the difference, you know, in the playoffs when you're you're facing that type of tight competitive game uh, against a good team, and and you know that you're not going to be perfect, and I don't think the Thorns were perfect. I don't think they put in you know a virtuoso performance. Otherwise, it would have been a classic like three zero four zero Thorns victory, which we have seen when this team is at their peak, but. Um, you know, against a team like that, three points is is three points, and and it earned them an opportunity to to clinch the shield this coming weekend on the road in Angel City um, down in L.A. So so that's a big moment for the Thorns to clinch that top two seed in the bye. We've talked all year about that being the big goal for them to to get that top two seed and just have one home game to get into the championship in San Diego. Now you want to set yourself up uh, to to have two major essentially trophies that, that you come home with uh, two banners to hang uh, from this season. You, you want that shield and you want to be the first team in NWSL history to, to not only be shield winners, but also champions and, you know, a fourth championship to establish the dynasty. It, it, it it's looking more hopeful on that end. I think than it did after that San Diego game a few weeks ago, um, you know, a 2-0 loss in that wave game for the Thorns. Definitely going to have to make some adjustments when you eventually face San Diego, if you do, in that championship. But a lot to build on, I think, from this Gotham game. Yeah, I, I think it was a really good playoff soccer game. Uh, and look, I, I mean, you mentioned the threes and four zeros that we're sort of used to seeing from the Thorns in, in May and June. That's just not how playoff soccer goes. That's not how these games go when teams are in late season form. That's not how games go when you're playing against Gotham and not playing, you know, the current uh, this year who really struggled. Ironically, played the current in the championship last year and, and kind of did dominate that game. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's just not how games go when you have these high stakes moments. Uh, and if you play to win three or four to zero there are some just real risks that you're going to expose yourself to. Uh, I thought this was a a really disciplined, really mature performance uh, from the Thorns. I agree. They they sort of just strangled the game in central midfield, uh, which was the way to go, right? They, they found the goal. They created a you know decent number of opportunities. I wouldn't say a ton, but enough to, to, to justifiably, I think, get the goal. I thought... Gotham also defended pretty well and was pretty careful uh, in how they approached the game, as you would expect them to be in in a circumstance like this. Um, but the Thorns found the goal, which was critical, especially with Sophia Smith uh, still largely on the bench, although she did come in late and and get her first taste of the field uh, since the uh, since the MCL sprain. And so, you know, I mean, all of that is very very positive, and. This is the way the Thorns are going to have to play, even when Smith returns, if they want to accomplish all those things you just listed off. They can't play the way they played against San Diego. Oh, and I think that bit of inconsistency that we've seen, we've seen some real up and down performances from this team over the course of the last six or eight weeks or so. Uh, I, I think that is probably the biggest concern if you're a Thorns fan heading into the playoffs. Uh, and and now knowing that they will have one of those coveted top two seeds, um, but look the the immediate task though is is critical 
right? The shield matters. The shield's really important. The shield is a major, major trophy. Uh, in some respects, especially with NWSL's format, I think there's a pretty good argument that the shield should be more valuable than the championship uh, trophy because the schedule is balanced. Uh, the, the It is truly sort of a test of, of which team was best over the course of, of the entirety of a regular season. And it's a big deal if you finish atop the table. That that is that that is as as irrefutable a sign that you were the best team in the league this year as any. Right? It, it, it's certainly more so than you know what you get from from winning two playoff games uh, in that respect. Now. In American sports, we really value <laughs> our cup trophies, uh, and so and so that that understandably gets the star, and and there's all of that, and I don't even have big objections uh, to to that approach, but the shield is a BFD uh, in uh, in 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 keeping with our our family show tradition, um, and you know the thorns are in a a I think pretty familiar and maybe uncomfortable spot this week going down to angel city angel city is a team that is is they are still alive in the playoff race thanks to uh a late savannah mccaskill goal uh on uh on sunday um uh, that ke- that kept them in the race uh, as a result uh of their win on the weekend so it's not quite the situation with gotham last year where they were playing a team that was eliminated but nonetheless angel city is a team that that has largely struggled this year. They've been a little bit better in the second half of the season than they were in the first, but they're still not lighting it on fire. Uh, and now the Thorns have to go on the road and probably have to win that game if they want to win the Shield. San Diego, uh, I think, has Louisville at home, if uh, if my memory is serving me correctly. That's a game. Louisville is also in the playoff race, and so Louisville's going to have plenty to play for. Um but that's a game that you'd probably expect the wave to be able to win. Uh, and so if the thorns want to get the shield, I think the expectation has to be that they've got to go down to LA to win this game. And it's a huge, huge game. It's the biggest game of the season because of that. Uh, and, and we'll see how it goes again. It's gotta be a game that they control from central midfield. It's gotta be a game uh, that in, in which, uh, in which they're, keeping uh, folks like Alyssa Thompson from getting out uh, into the open field uh, and and they're limiting those opportunities. And so they're going to have to, in many respects, repeat that performance that they had against Gotham if they want to do it. But I think they can. And of course, the hope is that that Sophia Smith will take another step in her progression in her return to play. We'll play a few more minutes. I would think probably not a lot more than 30 uh, 30 minutes uh, as she uh, sort of returns to to the field uh, but that, that but that they can take a step forward there uh, but yeah it's you know it doesn't get bigger than that uh, on the weekend at Angel City uh, and and we'll see how it goes yeah, I, I think that, you know, the Gotham performance is one that, you know, carrying that level of defending in wide spaces over to a game like this in, in Angel City uh, is big. You talked about Alyssa Thompson. She she might be the fastest player in NWSL. She she is the type of player. Is, to, right. Like has to be the fastest player. Yeah, in like, like she. 
I mean, you could quantify it however you want, but you know, the eyeball test alone shows you that she's unbelievably quick. And that type of player, you think about others like, you know, Trinity Rodman um, this season who have given the thorns a little bit of trouble on the outside and, and, you know, against a Gotham team that likes to play with uh, pace with, and, in, in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah Caroline with North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So there's been multiple players like that that have, have given the Thorns fits at times, and there have been games where, you know, given their, their defensive shape and their structure, the Thorns have been able to sort of respond to, to those type of challenges well. Um, you know, Megan Klingenberg, I think, has put in more positive performances in those type of situations than not just out of sheer grit, but also, you know, the the speed and shape that that she's in um you know at this stage in her career she's also had some tough performances and and so has you know Quika on the other side and um you know it, it doesn't just fall on on those two players defending in wide space is not just up to the fullbacks but at the same time um you know that that is an area of potential exploitation that the thorns are going to have to be careful about that they have dealt with against teams of varying talent and and you know that's something that Mike Norris has acknowledged specifically over, over the last couple of weeks. Additionally, you know, with Smith, I, I think that it's definitely going to be a, a careful ramp up. You're right to, to sort of guess that maybe like 30 minutes would be the, the max. Um, who knows? Maybe she's progressing really well and she plays the entire second half. I, I don't know if they go that hard, though, because you think about the the amount of time that they're going to have from the end of this game until the semifinal, right? The semifinal isn't until November 5th. Uh, and, and this game is coming up on Sunday. So that's that's multiple weeks of of opportunities for, for Smith to to work her way back into game shape, to get some simulated game minutes along the way to, you know, that's that's often how teams like to train. Right. Like they if they have the time off, they'll they'll potentially you know play a simulated game or a scrimmage on on a given Sunday or Saturday to sort of any given keep players in that weekly game rhythm. Yeah, any given Sunday. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I um, I think that's right. I, I, I do just want to interject that that is too much time. Uh, that is, that's too much time for your top seeds to be off between their last regular season game and your first playoff game. I know that these scheduling yeah. issues are challenging for NWSL and MLS has some similar ones uh, to figure out, but it's still too much time. Yeah, the international window thing is understandable, but to to have to build your postseason of all things around an international window and, and create this, this thing where there are going to be players who are in the middle of the playoffs who are going to play with their club, dip out, go play with their country, come back with more tired legs undoubtedly than they would have in another scenario and continue to have to play in the playoffs like that, you know, that affects your product negatively. And so the, the league, I think, could have done a better job negotiating that, um, you know, with national teams or, or sort of negotiating their schedule around that in a way that it doesn't affect this so much. Um, it, it's it's sort of ridiculous if you think about it that that you know your your biggest draw, your most your the thing that American sports fans, like you said, pay the most attention to, the run to like a, a championship trophy, right, is is affected negatively by by an international window this is a reality of soccer all the time. It happens, you know, in the regular season, preseason, and now as we have seen postseason, but it just, it, given the importance and given what you're trying to, to do in terms of, you know, growing your product and displaying it on, e on even greater stages every year. 
um, new TV deal coming up with, which is a, an interesting mix based on, on the reporting yeah. of, of different, uh, different streaming options and everything. And, and we'll obviously get into that more when it becomes more official, but um, you know, th- this is, this is crucial and to sort of sacrifice the quality of your product for the sake of international friendlies. And in some cases, you know, Olympic qualifying, which is important, but you know, some of these players are going to games that don't really matter. Yeah. And <laughs> and, that, and, the, and that's, that's the tough part because of the layoff, you're just disadvantaging your best teams, right? Like a three week layoff is not an advantage at all. Not even close. Uh, it is, it is very much the opposite. And, you know, I mean, it's one thing if, if you get, get a buy and instead of having to play midweek, you get a full week's rest. That is an advantage, right? Um, if you don't have to turn around after decision day on Saturday, play Wednesday and then play again the following Saturday, if you win, that would be an advantage, right? If, if you get the full week's rest, but any more than that, and you're really disadvantaging your top two teams because it is better to keep playing. It is better to stay in rhythm, to stay sharp. Uh, and as, as much as you try to simulate games uh, when you have long layoffs like this, it's just not the same as stepping into an actual honest-to-goodness playoff game. Uh, and it's it's an advantage as long as folks can stay healthy and not be suspended and that, that kind of thing. It's an advantage to have been in one of those uh, coming into something like a semifinal. So, uh, the, I mean, look, I, I don't mean to jump up and down on MWSL for this because it's, it's not entirely within their control. Um, and it's certainly a problem that other leagues have had to deal with and have had to navigate. So this is not a unique thing to NWSL, but it's still, it, it's just too long. Uh, and, and it's something that, that if there is a solution, they need to explore it and find it. Yeah. And the only real you know, advantage for the thorns is that Sophia Smith gets more time and that's good, but the rust is still inevitably going to be there for her. Even if she's 90 minutes fit by the time that playoff game rolls around, she probably won't be. I mean, that's, you know, it's a lot to expect from somebody who has only played at this point, 10 minutes of one game and will probably only play about 30 of another, you know, even with, you know, a, a solid training regiment over a three week period being 90 minutes fit requires match play inevitably. And, and so that's really the only foreseeable advantage. And that's why I would be, you know, a little stressed about it if I was Mike Norris or, or somebody on the thorns, the idea of trying to prepare a team and keep them sharp and make sure that you're not going to go out and lay an egg in, in that semifinal matchup, regardless of who you're playing, regardless if you win the shield. Um, I think it adds you know, they aren't thinking this way, but I think it adds to the importance of the shield in general, because you want to at the very least get that trophy when you're in a scenario where you're more exposed to potentially losing out on the other one. They aren't thinking about it in statistical, you know, ways like that. They want both of them. They feel like they can get both of them. Um, but the, the look, the, the championship trophy is made less likely inevitably by by a break like this because it's it's so much harder. Yeah, no question. Uh, one thing I, I also want to just circle back on uh, with respect to the Gotham game is and it's kind of the other side of the coin to the inconsistency that 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 I talked about, which is this Thorns team has shown a, a pretty remarkable ability to pick themselves up off the mat. Uh, you know, I, I think Sam Coffey talked about it after the game uh, that 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 loss to San Diego was understandably for all of the obvious reasons, a real gut punch. Um, 
and one that was a little bit hard to take. And frankly, you've seen lots of teams. We've seen lots of teams uh, that have taken a gut punch like that and and not been able to come back the next week and and put in a really mature, really stuck in performance in in challenging circumstances against a really good opponent. And the Thorns were, and they did. Uh, and we've seen that do, see them do that a few times this year. I think it speaks to the culture uh, within the team, the leadership that they have within the team, and and just across the team, the number of leaders they have, the maturity that they have um, in so many different positions on the field. Uh, you know, Christine Sinclair, Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Sam Coffey. I mean, all you know, you could go on. All of these players are really mature, professional. Uh, intelligent players and and i i think they've done a really a, a superlative job uh of even when they have those down performances making sure that's not something that bleeds into multiple weeks uh because that was very much on my mind after the the loss in, against san diego about whether that was one uh that was a, a little bit of a sign that maybe they were in a bit of a rut uh and and i think the performance against gotham just completely puts that concern to rest A team that finds itself in sort of the inverse situation, um, a, a team in the Portland Timbers who was doing very well for, for several games unbeaten, I believe, in seven or eight. Flat and, track and, heroes. Uh, Miles Joseph. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but e- I think impressive either way. Yeah. They I mean, <laughs> like laid, we talked laid about. An egg of, they laid an egg of their own in Montreal. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they lost uh, lost that one four to one and it was not particularly competitive. Not at all competitive. Uh, you know, I mean, and and not to be too dismissive of the the Timbers as flat track heroes. I think they probably were flat track heroes to some extent over the course of uh, over the course of that 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 stretch. But that's a lot better than what they were earlier in the season, which was very often, I think, the the stupid cliche I used a few weeks ago, and I'm going to stick to it. Was flat track roadkill. Um, and you'd rather be a flat track hero than flat track roadkill. And so, like, good for them on that. But yeah, the didn't take much of a speed bump to just completely derail them uh, to now mix my transportation metaphors uh, in, in in Montreal. This was a a performance, frankly, that I am pretty baffled by. Uh, I I don't get the approach. Uh, I don't understand what the plan was or how the plan made sense. Uh, Montreal is a team that, I mean, basically since they came in the league in 2012 has always looked to play in transition, has always looked to play on the counter. Uh, they have always built their roster around that. That very much continues to this day. And the Timbers came out and just opened themselves up to that. I I don't get it. Uh, and you can see it in the goals that they conceded. Uh, in basically all of those situations, they had no more than four or five players defending. That is just, I mean, when you're that stretched, uh, when your central midfield in particular in the Timbers 4-3-3, they had Santi Moreno, Evander with Brian Acosta sitting. Uh, we've seen that before. That's not the first time we've seen it, but but we got more out of Evander and, and Moreno uh, at least in the first half in this game before Chara came on for Evander uh, at, at, at halftime. But we've seen we've seen more defensively and more two-way work from uh, Moreno and Evander in prior games, and we got none of it. None of it 
uh, in this one. The Timbers gave up a goal on a goal kick and like not just giving up a goal on a goal kick, right? Look, you don't want to give up goals on goal kicks, period. Sometimes spit happens, right? Uh, This was not a matter of spit happens. This is a matter of being an absolute shambles in team defending from front to back. The Timbers on, on this Montreal goal kick, because we have to talk about this goal kick, like they, 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 they put five players forward to try to deter Montreal from playing short. They were unsuccessful. <laughs> Montreal still played short. In theory, you'd think then by having five players forward, again, half of your field players <laughs> were all basically in the opposing box. Um, you would think then that that would then make the next pass for Montreal difficult. It did not. <laughs> Montreal very easily played out of it. One easy pass out to the wing. One simple ball under nominal pressure uh, from, uh, I think it was Anthony who was applying the pressure over the top. And then they're in behind and off to the races. Just an absolute calamity in defending from front to back. Uh, and I mean, that's just the kind of goal that when you see it given up, you're like, oh, <laughs> like that's not the kind of goal that a team that is a real factor in the playoffs would concede. Like that's that's the kind of goal that a pretender would concede. And so, I mean, and and frankly, the others weren't significantly better. They were just completely uncontrolled counterattacks. I mean, if you're going to be as aggressive as the Timbers were with their central midfield, basically playing with the six and two tens, and even that six is not exactly the most tactically disciplined six in the world. Uh, if you're going to play that way, you've got to be really cognizant in possession of where you're at with your rest defense. In other words, where you're at with uh, how your players are going to be able to defend immediately when you turn the ball over because everybody does right I mean it's soccer like you you usually turn the ball over um and you've got to be really aware of those things the Timbers were not uh and Montreal had basically no problem build just just fly turning the Timbers over and then flying out on the counter uh the the tactics didn't make sense I don't know if that's because uh, that was the plan coming in and and it was just a bad plan uh, or if it there was a better plan somewhere in there and it was just poorly executed. Uh, I It was, but I mean, it just in terms of performance and overall calamity. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's one that, that really, really substantially changes the Timbers trajectory going into the final uh, week of the season, right? It's We've got a week off now because of yet another international break. Um, but uh, I mean, it's uh, it, it just really substantially changes the way the, the, the Timbers are positioned. If the Timbers had won that game as look, I mean, Montreal hadn't won in like over a month. This is not an impact team or a team formerly known as the impact uh, that was in good form. They were in bad form. They had been playing poorly. They played midweek. The Timbers were the better rested team. (laughs) Uh, And so that was very much a winnable game. If the Timbers had won, the question would be basically where the Timbers were going to fall between four and seven uh, coming into this final week. Now the question is where the Timbers are going to fall between 
seven if everything goes just right to out of the playoffs altogether and out of the plan yeah out of everything season's over yeah no playoffs no plan same type of ending as last year where it comes down to the decision day and and if you lose essentially and and one more decision day flop and it's it's a very real possibility that the timbers could just be done so all of that flat flat track heroism would be out the door out the window yeah, I think it, it look, I think there are positives to take away from that stretch, regardless of whether the team makes the postseason. But it's it's sort of, you know, will fall on on empty ears uh, if, if you're if you're somebody on the outside looking at, at this Timbers team. There's there's going to be major changes in the offseason anyway, I think, regardless of, of how this last stretch goes. But um you know, it, it affects multiple things. It affects Miles Joseph's chances, frankly, of being hired as the next coach. He's somebody that, you know, I'm sure wants this opportunity and wants this job and has yet to, you know, formally interview, but is among the major candidates, as was reported by Tom Bogert last week. And let me tell but, you, but, it is it is an accessible group to beat out. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> I mean, it, whoever, whoever wins that coaching race based on the names that we've seen floated will be yet another flat track hero because they, 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 they look, Jurgen Klopp is not on that list. <laughs> is not being interviewed for this job. Pep Guardiola is not among the candidates. <laughs> this is a decidedly different level uh, uh, quality of candidate that the Timbers are looking at. Yeah, and I don't think that, that names like that would probably ever be in the in the discussion anyway. But yeah, <laughs> I, we're I a couple we're a couple leagues yeah. down from uh, from that in terms of the names that we've seen. Yeah, and and you know, Alex Barnes and I spoke about this last week and the sort of surprise of of you know some of the names that you saw on that list. But is it a surprise? You know, Miles is well. Depends who you ask. I mean, look, they, look. <laughs> I know, I know. This is this is a point that has caused the the club some consternation. But when you have within a club repeated opportunities coming out of a period of some turbulence to bring in sort of impactful leadership, and time after time after time, you hire internally. It shouldn't come as a huge shock to anybody if at least one of the factors that led to the all those internal hires was an, a, a difficulty attracting good competitive external talent and obviously the timbers are considering external talent for this now fourth major position that they've had to hire in the last year plus and lo and behold the external talent that we've seen connected to it uh ain't great I mean, of the four, the the, the four names, Phil, Phil Neville. Phil, look, Phil Neville. If the Timbers hire it's, Phil it's Neville, the first one that comes to mind. If the Timbers hire Phil Neville, we are going to have an episode of this podcast that will not be a family show. It's going to come with like that 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 stamp on the cover, the you know explicit lyrics, parental advisory stamp. If the Timbers hire Phil Neville, there is going to be a show that's not going to be a family show. Um, but look, I mean, of the four names that we heard. Three of them are recently fired MLS coaches who led their teams into the wooden spoon race this year. (laughs) That's 75% (laughs) folks like that's not great. And look, I understand how you can make arguments for some of these folks, uh, a Robin Frazier or an Ezra Hendrickson, if you kind of squint, but like the recent track record, not super great. And I, 
get it. Not entirely attributable to them. There are other issues in both of those clubs, the Chicago Fire and the Colorado Rapids. But not super great. Uh, Dome Toron, uh, who did well with uh, with, with um, NYCFC back in 2019, which honestly, I don't even know is a year that we consider as recent history anymore, given everything that's happened between now and then, has had two jobs since then, neither of which he stayed in more than six months. <laughs> like, this is a bad list. It's a bad list. And... I hope there are better candidates who were not named who are likelier, but like this very much falls in line with the concern that we've had over the course of the last year or so that the external talent who would be interested in major jobs aren't interested in jobs with the Timbers. And I think in terms of context with, with these, um, with these candidates, when for people who, are on the outside and they sort of just, you know, consume the, the media information as it comes, right? The names that get leaked to the media by, you know, quote unquote sources with knowledge of the process, yada, yada. Um, w- typically, and I'm not saying necessarily that it's the case here with, with Tom's reporting and, and with this situation, but typically the people who share that information do so because they believe it to be a public relations benefit to them to tout the names of the individuals that they are interviewing. That very well could be the case in this specific case. And if that is, um, there are people like yourself included, Chris, on the outside who are in many ways confused by that, by the choice to, to sort of have these be the names that you um, sort of trot out there and say, hey, look at who we're interviewing. Isn't, isn't that cool? Do y'all remember you know? NYCFC's 2019 MLS regular season campaign? It was a good one. We're talking to that guy. Yeah. And it doesn't hit quite as well as I think, you, as I think the they would hope. Has, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it didn't, didn't hit with fans very well. And I'm not sure that, you know, the front office necessarily cares what the fans think about the, the coaching hires, but you know, the Neville thing in particular, and we, you know, Alex and I talked about this last week is, is the most confounding of all because he, he had very public, you know, inappropriate things that were said by him and attitudes expressed that are just completely, you know, unacceptable to, to anyone, let alone the, the fans of the Timbers who have already put up with a great deal of very public mistreatment of women in particular as, as a central issue that, you know, all the people are passionate about and for good reason, but they, they've had to deal with and that the, the women, you know, who've been victimized by the last several years have had to deal with. And, you know, what type of message would, would that send somebody who is, is so flippant about those type of issues, um, regardless of, you know, the credentials and even, and the credentials even he, don't really speak he has well not performed well as a soccer coach either. <laughs> like, I just don't get it. He, he coached an, an, an English women's national team that immediately got manifestly better when he left. He, he coached a Miami team that could literally bring in the greatest player to have ever walked the earth and still could not make the playoffs after he left because he dug them into such a deep, deep, deep hole. <laughs> and so to see, yeah. To, to yeah, see they, that name bandied so about with the back. Timbers. 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. It, like, like I said, if he's the higher in the end, cover, 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 the, you know, take the kids out of the room for that episode. It would be interesting. It would be a story for sure. The, another story, I think that, you know, moving away maybe from the, the soccer side of things and, and into the apparel side of things that, that I think was interesting from this week um, was the announcement from Alaska Airlines. And it wasn't really an announcement. I broke the news. But, you know, the the information I was able to gather from Alaska and from the team uh, about the sponsorship ending at the end of this season, um, 13 seasons it will have been. Uh, with with Alaska on the front of Timbers jerseys and, you know, emblazoned throughout Providence Park. No longer after this year, a new sponsor coming in for the kits and no more sponsorship dollars coming in from Alaska uh, for the Timbers or Thorns. Um, now, the next owners of, of the Thorns will have an opportunity potentially to sort of negotiate a new um, a new deal with Alaska that that has been sort of a fruitful relationship for, for the thorns in particular in recent years. Uh, you know, you think about, you know, people wearing thorns jerseys to, to fly on Alaska to the championship thorns, scarves being laid out in, in the plains, really cool sort of, you know, community oriented connection there that has existed. Um, and, and it existed for the tempers over the years too, in similar fashion, but new sponsor coming on the kits and an end of an era that lasted a whole heck of a lot longer than, than most, you know, kit sponsorships, which is, is a unique thing. Um, but coming to an end at, at an interesting time, given, you know, that one year or so ago, Alaska said it would be redirecting its sponsorship money following the release of the Yates report. Um, and multiple other sponsors over the the last year to my understanding sort of dropping out or ending their partnerships with with the timbers and thorns organization um so so a lot of layers to it but either way an end of an era it it is the end of an era this has been a partnership that has obviously gone back to the club's sort of ascension to mls oh and it has been one that i think has been very very fruitful uh, for for both Alaska and uh, and the Timbers and Thorns, um, so it, it's the end of an era. I I hesitate somewhat to speculate as to Alaska's reasons for uh for uh, deciding that this isn't a partnership that they wanted to continue into the future. I think there's some decent writing on the wall <laughs> if you want if you want to try to try to do that. Certainly, their their shift of sponsorship money. Uh, over the end, over to the NWSLPA, uh, following uh, following the release of the Yates report, is I think you know certainly evidence from which somebody could conclude that that those two things are related. Uh, and look, I I think if that's the case, it's not hard to understand, right? The benefit for corporate sponsorship of sports teams and what those corporations want is they want to essentially draft off the goodwill that the sports team has in the community, right? They want to associate their brand with something in the community that is that is that is visible and people and that people enjoy and is positive. And so if there's not as much goodwill from uh, you know the sports team in the community, then the value of that partnership just goes down really quickly for whatever entity it is. So, uh 
so you know, I mean, it, it, I, I I don't know exactly why uh, Alaska chose to do this. It seemed like they were being fairly coy, as you would expect them to be, uh, about their their internal thinking. Um, but it's, it's yeah, and it was also pu- publicly shared as as a mutual decision. But as we know in sports, that can be a, an agreement <laughs> yeah. that public relations and people can come to to sort of smooth over the cracks of a situation. I'm not saying that's the case here, but as you so eloquently noted, the writing is very much on the wall uh, based on what happened last year. And you know what I you know what I don't think happened? I I don't think the Timbers and Thorns went to Alaska and were like, we are really tired of taking your money. (laughs) We, 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 We do not want it anymore. No, thank you. Kindly. Uh, I don't think that happened. And so, I mean, you know, you can read no, it. No, and I don't think there was a better offer out there either. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, there was another company that was, you know, beating down the door of the Timbers and trying to become the kit sponsor. I think they'd been working they together. They were fairly so well established. And, and yeah. So now, the money was really good too. Y- so, yeah. Y- you can read into whatever you want uh, from that characterization of mutual. I don't read much into it at all. Uh, I, I think, I think. You know, the writing on the wall speaks louder than than that does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it look, I mean, this is a new world over the course of the last year or two that largely of the club's own making, almost entirely of the club's own making, that the club is having to navigate. And they're having to navigate it on multiple fronts in terms of their its relationship with fans uh, and supporters. It's having to navigate it uh, in terms of its relationships with corporate sponsors. Uh, and look, I mean, I... I <laughs> I certainly don't have access to the club's books, um, so I can't tell you exactly how that's going or, or uh, you know, whether that's having a significant impact on the bottom line. But I think this is just part of navigating that new world, and we'll see what comes next. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it is a, a partnership that I think was was authentic and really impactful for a long time uh, and and will not be in existence anymore. One short little, you know, maybe fun note to end it on. Um, fun if you sort of like to talk about like, you know, corporations in this sort of endearing way. I don't know. That's that's like your personal preference. But, you know, there are local companies that are in the running to to potentially be the uh, the kit sponsor. I've seen, you know, people throw out Tillamook as one uh, Dutch bros, Danner Boots, um, you know, old trapper, maybe with something Bigfoot related <laughs> on the front of the jerseys. What, what, uh, what do you think is the most likely, and what do you think would be the one you would like to see the most? Most likely, I have no idea. One I'd like to see the most, Tillamook, basically just because I stand their cheese. Also, the best cheese factory tour I've ever been on. I've been on a few, still the best. Multiple cheese factory tours yeah. in your lifetime. Yeah. I've what? only been to the Tillamook ones. So really, that, you know nothing else. Cool. I mean, the problem is now you've you've tasted the gold standard. Like that is that is the gold standard of cheese factory tours. Uh, and so, like, this is not sponsored content. By the way. And so, like, <laughs> if you if you ever go on any other, you're you're gonna come away slightly underwhelmed. I went on one when I was in Italy. I I toured a Parmesan cheese factory, which was fun. Oh, dude, I I did that too. What am I talking about? Yeah, I, I was how thinking did, how did it, which was fun. Tasty, had some nice Parmesan cheese, doesn't stack up to the Tillamook tour. Mm, I I enjoyed the Parmesan one actually more now that I now that I remembered that I actually did that because I I seeing the the aging 
process and, and, you know, being up close to the wheels and, you know, seeing the artisan nature by which they do this. And it, it's not as mass production of a facility as what Tillamook's got going. I love, I'm a Tillamook cheese man through and through, you know, Bill Orem would be furious if I did not give them their flowers, but um, you know, it, it I don't know the, the artisan approach to, to food that people have in Italy in particular, but also in Europe is something that, you know, stands out compared to, to the U S not saying that Tillamook doesn't sort of have an Americanized version of that approach, but they're a big company, man. You freaking can find Tillamook all over this, this nation and world at this point. So I just love the fact that like, we've got our local cheese uh, maker, that like you can go to other parts of the country and the only place you'll find their cheese is in like the, the fancy aisle. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's, you know, that, that speaks volumes. That's when you know you've made it. That's right. Uh, when you make it to the fancy cheese, cheese. Aisle. I, I think that Tillamook would be a one I would like to see too in terms of most likely, and this is not based on any inside information, but you know, the obvious ones based on the size of sponsorship with the timbers are Tillamook Dutch bros, um, you know, old trapper has done stuff with Timber Joey. There's been Sasquatch and Timber Joey content online. I, it could be any number of those. I, I don't see it being a, a bigger outside name unless there's been some, you know, secret negotiations going on that I'm not privy to at this point. And I'm not really privy to any of that. I don't work for the business <laughs> end of the Portland Timbers, but, but at the same time, um, you know, it's, it seems most likely just based on the size of those sponsors. Okay. So important question coming out of, out of all this, do you think on his way out of town, Damian Lillard made it to the coast and went on the Tillamook cheese factory tour before he left Portland? No, I think that the moment the trade went through, he was on the first private flight he could get to Milwaukee to go look at houses. I mean, I, there, it was so I haven't talked about this whole situation on the <laughs> podcast yet, but it, it it was so fraught and so messy. And, you know, it I, I think that the team is benefiting greatly from having moved on and being able to sort of enter this new era, not benefiting greatly, maybe just able to move on. It's good. But, but no, but, I don't think Dam- Damian Lillard made it to the coast. I don't think he he really cares that much about getting out there. None, the he, nonetheless, he made- should. And 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 while he's at the coast, he should take an hour and go on the Tillamook Cheese Factory tour. I agree with you, but at the same time, he has maybe another opportunity to do that. Yeah, when, you know, one or he two wins things a couple going on. Championships with Giannis in Milwaukee. Um, he's talked about wanting to come back. To the organization now that's going to take a whole heck of a lot of fence mending for that to be the case but um he's talked about wanting to retire as a blazer wear the jersey again maybe when that happens maybe on his return trip he's older wiser has a few more rings on his fingers um he, he will make that pilgrimage to the tillamook cheese factory go, and get, to the go get yourself and, and damn go get yourself some curds and ice cream yeah, and, and while you're at it, you know, once you're done with that, go to like, you know, Seaside or Cannon Beach and get. Like oh, an Cannon Beach over Seaside time. every day of the week, twice I mean, on yes, Sundays. Uh, Come on. We've talked about this. Yeah, this is a this is a, an anti Seaside podcast That's right. <laughs> over the last year. But I, 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 I like Seaside for the nostalgia because I went there a ton when I was a kid and, you know, basketball tournaments there for, for my brother and everything else. But yeah, it's a lot of places on the coast before I'd go to Seaside. A lot less tourist trappy places on the coast and, and 
many of them with far more stunning and beautiful landscapes in general. You know, respect to seaside, but oceanside TID elsewhere. It's beautiful. Okay, this podcast has gone off the rails. We should probably end it. Yeah, we're done. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on you can follow us on Twitter at SoccerMainPDX at Chris Reifer at Ryan T Clark. Follow us and like us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, make sure to leave a review if you so choose. We always appreciate feedback, uh, and we will see you next week after the Thorns either clinch the shield or maybe something else happens. Who knows? But we will be back next week to talk that and look ahead to that game for the Timbers against Houston. Uh, We'll see you then.